Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Mondo Show. I want to thank you for standing with me. I want to thank you for your continuous support of this program, my life. You know, I just got back from Chuck Pierce and, and Glory of Zion Ministry, where I got to minister to over 5,000 pastors and, and ministers and, and just people in ministry to encourage them to not be afraid, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. We are living in a culture right now that they want to shame us. They want to shame us for standing for what we're believing in and for sh shaming us for even gathering together and, and being able to stand in the midst of this culture war that we're in right now. And I want to tell you something. COVID-19 changed the world. It changed the way institutions such as churches, seminaries, Christian schools, businesses in your community were operating all based on fear. We found out where we stood in the realms of the community. Whether we were essential or not before COVID-19, no one ever thought about that. Yet when COVID-19 we knew from that moment on whether we were going to be existing, whether we were going to be considered essential, yet they made it very clear. Who are they? They are politicians. They are those that are making laws that are restricting the way we conduct church today. And I want to tell you something. The last time we had an uprise of this magnitude, was in 1918 when, when the pandemic that was coined with the name Spanish flu took place. And, and it's recorded that over 100 million people died. And it changed the world at that time. We never knew if there was anything like that was ever going to exist. Yet, in the 21st century, our world once again changed. The way we conducted church changed. The way we preached changed. All of a sudden, the old term or someone, you know, jokingly said years ago, in order to be a pastor in today's culture, you have to have the Bible on one side and a lawyer on the other side. Well, guess what? That joke is not a joke anymore. Today, I want you to stay tuned because I have a very special guest that is going to challenge you. You may not agree with him. You may disagree with everything he's got to say, but yet the reality is that this affects you as well. On February 16th of 2021, Pastor James Coates turned himself in to the police. He was arrested for violating a bail condition to comply with COVID-19 health orders. He was charged with breaching health restrictions and refusing to sign a legal undertaking requiring him to stop holding non-compliant services. Well, on March 22nd of 2021, Dr. Pastor James Coates was released. We didn't see that in the headline news. We only saw a little bit of it. We had to dig in order to find when he was released, and, and, and listen, when controversies hit, they hit social media like a plague, and, and the headline news are carrying it, and a pastor was arrested. Yet when he was released, 
Very few people were talking about it. Well, the Crown agreed to drop the criminal charges connected to the pastor's breach of his undertaking. Also, the Crown dropped all the February charges for violating the PHA. But I got to tell you this, the fight didn't stop there. Because in the morning of April 7th, 2021, the government of Alberta, Canada, shut down what they called, and I quote, a rogue church for breaking COVID-19 rules. Authorities put up barriers and shut the church down. And when pastor, doctor of Grace Life Church continued to hold in-person services without this is what they're writing, without physical distancing or masking, despite public health orders introducing. I want to tell you something. One of the most diabolical, can I say that, statements, because when they came against him, they came against the church, and they were forcing his church to gather 15% of building capacity. No churches in America, no churches in Canada, no churches in the world were ready to face the restrictions that authorities were putting against pastors and churches all over the world. In America, in Canada, we began to see pastors being arrested for trying to hold church services in a time of need. My special guest has written a brand new book. You have to read it. Whatever you got to do to get it in your hands. This book, he writes and he, he recounts the story of how government overreached and how the civil authorities exploited a public health issue to stir up fear and shut down freedom. The book is titled God versus Government. Taking a biblical stand when Christ and compliance collide. I want you to help me welcome my special guest today. He is the pastor of Grace Life Church in Edmonton, Canada. He's a doctor, he's a pastor, he's an author. Welcome to the program, Pastor. Hey, Mondo, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Listen, when I read about your story at the beginning of the pandemic, I think the world, the church world, was shocked to see that you turned yourself in for taking a stand on something that we all know we needed church at that moment. Let's go back to that day. Why did you feel you had to turn yourself in in order to make a statement? Well, we were in a stare down with the governing authorities with respect to our services. And in our estimation, we were taking a biblical stand. We were honoring the headship of Christ over his church. He is the sole and supreme authority over the church. He exercises that authority through his word. And the governing authorities were reaching inside the walls of the church and attempting to usurp his authority by dictating to us the terms of worship. So we were in a, a drawn-out stare-down with the governing authorities. I was arrested the first time on the 7th of February in my office at our church where I refused to sign the undertaking that you had mentioned, and, and they indicated refused to sign, but, um, but also indicated that that was still a binding document on me. So when we met on the 14th, the following Sunday, 
I was now in breach of that document and I was asked to turn myself in. So I, I, I did at that point in time, I, I turned myself in on my own terms and, uh, and just allowed this thing to continue to play out. And, and so I thought it was the right thing to do. I mean, they could have arrested me, kept me in, in a, a jail cell Sunday, Monday, it was a holiday. And then I would have been brought to a justice of the peace on Tuesday but uh, really, in their kindness, they allowed me to turn myself in on Tuesday, which meant two more sleeps in my own bed. And, and then when I turned myself in, well, that ultimately resulted in me being imprisoned because I refused to agree to the terms of my release. The question, and I'm intrigued by this. I'm almost speechless because I'm intrigued at the fact that they came and arrested you. They came after you. Yet the public was telling and saying does the pastor not care about the community? Does the pastor not care about his members during a, a, a pandemic? How do you respond to people that were talking like that and, and adding more fuel to the fire? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, they're elevating physical health to the, the greatest degree. They're, they're saying physical health trumps everything else, trumps spiritual health. And so they're only dealing with health as it relates to, to the body. Number two, to even pose that question basically assumes that everything the governing authorities were saying and all the, the mainstream media was saying was actually true, that there was an accurate representation of the, the data and science concerning this virus. And we called it into question. We had met for 37 Sundays in a row prior to uh, being locked out of our facility, and we didn't have a single uh, outbreak of COVID-19 from our gatherings. So... So I think when you pose that question, you're, you're, you're posing that question from within the echo chamber of the mainstream media. And if COVID-19 was that serious, I mean, all we did as, as shepherds was open our doors. We just said to our people, look, we're going to open our doors. We're not going to tell you you can't come. We initially complied to let the data roll in. We, we, we surveyed the severity of the virus before we opened our doors. We were down to 15 people in our gathering for about eight weeks. And, uh, and so we didn't we were compliant from about March 2022 to June 2022. We opened our doors, and at that point in time, we just said, look, it's, it's our people's decision. They, they've got their own risk tolerance, uh, and, and they need to assume the level of risk that, that they're willing to take with respect to the virus. But it's not on us to tell people that they can't come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not our authority. And so we, we feel like we were prudent to survey the landscape and the severity of the virus. But when we determined that this, in our estimation, was clear government overreach and fear-mongering taking place by the mainstream media, uh, we believed that to continue to comply with their health orders was a disservice to our church, a disservice to Christ, and ultimately a disservice to uh, our neighbor. Because anytime we disobey the Lord Jesus Christ, it is always to the detriment of our neighbor Anything God would have us do as we are called to love him with all our mind, soul, and strength is always with the best interest of our society, community, country, uh, and, and nation. So we, we I, believe we did the right thing. I got to ask you this before we go into your book. How is your wife? How does she take this? Was she shocked? You know, my wife is a very courageous woman. She is a woman that is convicted about the truth. She's committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, she was a huge support to me. Uh, she, she knew that I had to take this stand and she was, um, she, she wouldn't have let me not stand. And so she was an incredible support. If I didn't have her support in, in this season, it would have been incredibly difficult 
But that was the one thing about this stand for us, from my wife to our leadership to our congregation, we were able to check off all the boxes and do that in unity. And that's why the Lord, I think, used us in this time. He, he, he used us to put his light on display, his glory on display, and we were just the, the vessels through which he did that. Were you scared, Pastor, when you realized, I turned myself in, thinking maybe I was going to be released later, a few hours later, yet you found yourself in a cell. In your, in your book, you tell the story of how you fell asleep. They came and got you. They, I mean, it was a, almost like a miracle round trying to figure out what to do with you. What was that first night for you like? You know, I would say when things began to set in and the reality that this may not result in my immediate release was in the aftermath of indicating that I couldn't sign my condition. There really was no temptation to sign the condition of my release because the condition required that we comply with the Public Health Act, that I do that. I wouldn't be able to step on our property without ensuring that everyone's masked, distanced, and and that we were meeting the the capacity limit. So so for me to sign that condition would be to surrender the headship of Christ over his church to Caesar. I couldn't do that. I knew that. But once I had said I can't sign, well, that just began the dominoes as it related to me ending up in a, a maximum security prison. And so there's no question when I said, no, I, I can't sign that condition. And, and it was like, well, we can't release you. And then, you know, the, the dominoes began to fall. That was definitely um, a real and challenging experience because the 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 reality of knowing that you're likely headed to jail is uh, is is significant and you know all of the freedoms that you've come to know and everything that you've taken for granted really your whole life is being taken away from you in that moment and you're you're entering into a completely new culture and system that you don't even know if life will ever be the same uh, on the other end of it so it was definitely a challenge. Your book, God versus Government, taking a biblical stand when Christ and compliance collide. Let's talk about this book because I believe when you study the Apostle Paul, and you almost have to put his whole life into context, and we seem to forget as Christians that Apostle Paul was a multiple offender of the law, right? They chased him out of town, they arrested him, he wrote a lot of the epistles from from prison, from jail, writing letters to Timothy. And, and he took a stand in his time. Yet when pastors are taking a stand today, we act shocked. We act like, what are they doing? Why are they risking it all? Well, the apostles risked it all. They took a stand for the gospel. But I got to ask you, God versus government. What is it about government that we need to understand as ministers of the gospel? Where do we stand when it comes to God versus government? Well, we've got to understand that the government is God's institution. He put it in place. All authority is from God. And so the authority that's given to government is a delegated authority. And when God delegates authority to any sphere, whether the home or the church or the governing authorities, he does that with purpose. And that purpose limits the extent of that authority. And so we have to understand that government is the servant of God, a deacon of God. That's the way it's described there in Romans 13, 4. And, and so with that, 
we can begin to home in on what's the purpose of government. Well, the purpose of government is to, to punish evil and praise those who do good. And good and evil are as God defines it. The governing authorities don't get to make up what's good and what's evil in accord with the, the whims of the culture. And, and the governing authorities are going to be held accountable to the Lord for their exercise of authority. It will be a part of their judgment. And of course, if they go into that judgment without Christ, well, they're going to spend an eternity away from the blessed presence of Christ. If, if they go into that judgment with Christ, well, they're, they're going to be covered by his blood. And therefore, it'll be merely an account that they give without any condemnation. But nevertheless, the governing authorities are going to give an account. And so our responsibility as the church is to ensure the government understands its role and function. We're the pillar in support of the truth. And so if we don't inform the government on their purpose, no one will. And, and that means that we have a responsibility as the church to stand for righteousness and obedience to Christ when they're, when they're reaching beyond their, their, their authority. And that's what we did. And so by doing that, there's a, a twofold effect. Number one, we're testifying to the government that its deeds are evil. And number two, it's, it, it yields in a, a number of occasions, numerous occasions, whereby we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and call people to repentance and faith in him. So we need to understand the purpose of government, that it's limited, and, and that they are well out of their lane when they begin to dictate the terms of worship to the church. Do you believe that what happened to you in Canada reflects how they feel about church in general? Well, I think you see governments right now wanting total authority and believing they have total authority. That's totalitarianism. And when you have that kind of authority, you have to basically um, quench and, and, and stomp out every other sphere of authority. So you begin to infringe on the authority of the home and, and the state believes that it has rights to the children and, and you begin to infringe on the authority of the church. So what you're seeing is that as, as governments begin to usher in a totalitarian view of government, they have to basically stomp out every other expression of authority. And they're, they're, they're outside of their God-ordained purpose when they do that. And that's where it's important for uh, churches as institutions with protections typically under uh, our, our laws, like your constitution and our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, they, they need to take the biblical stand and allow the, the, the legal system within the context of our democracy to do its work. I believe chapter 9 is probably one of the most important chapters in this book. Trusting God from behind bars. I think it's one of the most fascinating chapters because it tells you the trial and tribulation that you went through, Pastor, had to test your faith. How did you make it through? How did you trust God? Do you believe at that moment that God had left you? Did you believe at any moment that God had forsaken you? How did you get through it? How did you trust God? Especially for those people watching today that are going through a trial in their lives and they feel like God has given up on them. It feels like God walked away. It feels like this doesn't seem like it's in God's plan. Yet God in his divine mercy knows the plans he has for us. I mean, you can read from Genesis to Revelation all the way and understand God intended for men and women to be under the plan of God. Yet, a lot of those plans don't seem to match up for what we think the plans are for our life. How did you get through the, 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 
the moments of despair. How did you, how, I, I guess I'm just trying to get you watcher to understand that no matter what you're going through, God always has a plan for you to get through the trials and tribulations. But pastor, how did you get through it? Can you give us some keys that we can take and apply to our lives today? Well, you've got to have the foundation of the sovereignty of God. You've got to be convinced that God is totally sovereign over all of the events of human history and every detail of our lives. He has a meticulous sovereignty. There are no maverick molecules, it's often said. And so you've got to have a, a rock-solid conviction in the sovereignty of God. From there, you have to recognize that God uses trials and tribulations and sufferings, difficulties in our lives to mold us more fully into the image of Christ. And, and that is the goal of salvation, that we would become like Christ. Paul talks about, in Philippians 3, sharing in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. And so we've got to have a conviction on the sovereignty of God. We have to understand that God uses suffering and tribulation to mold us into the image of Christ. And as believers, when we are persecuted for our faith, that's another opportunity where the gospel can go forth and the light can shine brightly as we get opportunities to testify to the excellencies of God and of Christ. So for me, with those convictions in place, and then just seeing God's hand of providence unfold, I was able to see God was with me the same way he's always with me. All throughout my life, as a believer, he has been with me, watching over me, caring for me, shepherding me, and that same shepherd care was evident while I was in prison. He was working, even while I was in prison, to, to, to protect me and watch over me. And then, as the Lord began to use our stand in a way that I never imagined, and the support that began to come in and the way people were being woken up to what was going on, it was evident that God was using me and our church uh, to shine his glory. And, and so I got to watch him work providentially in my life. I got, I got to see him work the same way he's always worked and, and how he always blesses obedience in my life as well. When I've been obedient to the Lord, simply obeying his word in difficult times, he's always blessed that. And so in this set of circumstances, when things could have gone on a human level drastically wrong and things could have turned out uh, very awfully for me, uh, the Lord has used it instead to, to bless and, 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 and strengthen. So I, I think you've got to have the sovereignty of God. You've got to know the way God uses suffering. And, and then you've got to be faithful and obedient, knowing that, that God is going to use that obedience to bring honor and glory to his name. And that's why we're alive. We are here not to live our best life now, but to bring God glory in, in the difficulty, in, in, in the joys of life. And, and it's, in, it's in his glory that we're going to find joy and satisfaction. I just got a few more moments left. What is your message to pastors, to leaders that are leading their ministries, that are leading their churches, that will have to make a stand at some point in their ministry? And your time came in February of 2021, what is your message to pastors, evangelists, teachers? I mean, I, we need to hear from you. We need your advice. In this book, you have made it very clear of the challenges, but also the importance to making a stand. What is your message? Well, it's critical to be faithful and to cultivate faithfulness in our lives on a daily basis in our personal walk with the Lord, to walk in holiness and obedience, to be honest in dealing with the sin that's in our life, to, 
to turn from that sin, confess that sin, put that sin to death, to, to ensure his word is dwelling in us richly, to be seeking his honor and his glory. That's where we need to be. And as we're faithful, the Lord is going to provide opportunities for us to stand. And when those opportunities come, all we have to do is stand. We just have to be immovable. Just, just plant your two feet. Trust the Lord to give you the grace to, to, to stand and, and, and not move. And you just let the Lord take care of the rest. Let the chips fall where they may. Entrust yourself to him who judges righteously. And as you do that, the Lord's going to work. He's going to step in. He's going to accomplish his purpose for that moment and you're standing. And even if it results in suffering, that's going to be for his glory. It's going to be for your good. That's the promise in Romans 8, 28. But our responsibility is to be faithful. And we can be faithful by trusting the, the, even the power of the spirit in our lives to strengthen all obedience in the inner man and give us what we need to be, um, to be faithful in those times. There you have it. The author of God versus government. He's a pastor, he's a doctor, he's got a great congregation, and if you ever find yourself in Alberta, Canada, you have to go visit the church, you have to go visit the pastor. This is something that we need to stick together in times like this. I love, Pastor, I just got a few more seconds. What do you say to the, the members in your church that stood with you and, and they rallied around you in a time of crisis? You know, Grace Life Church is a wonderful congregation, and I couldn't be more blessed than to be at Grace Life Church. There's no other church on the planet that I'd rather uh, serve and, and minister the Word of God to. And so if you're ever in Edmonton, uh, you don't need to come and see me. You need to come and meet Grace Life Church. She is a wonderful bride of Christ, and, uh, and I am thrilled and excited to be uh, a small part of her. Oh, man. It's an honor to have you today. You got to go get the book, God versus Government, Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide. This book is going to change your life. This book is going to give you a different perspective of how we deal with government, how we deal when, when government comes in like a flood and they come in and try to strip you away from all of your rights. Yet the Bible says that greater is he. One of my favorite scriptures is when Jesus shared, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. I want to tell you something. We need the church today. The church, there's still power in the church. There's still life transforming power through the church is how my life got changed. I want to tell you something. If it wasn't for the church, if it wasn't for the body of Christ and the members praying for me and the members standing with me, believing that God had called me to do what I'm doing today, I will not be here today. And I believe that the prayers of the people is what kept Pastor going, is what got him through the jail time, is, it was, is what's getting him through this season. We need each other more than ever. Don't allow this culture to separate us. Do not allow other theologies to separate us. We must stand firm. Oh, my time is gone already. I can't believe I love spending time with you and just talking and in, in interviewing men and women of God that hold the key and that key go, always goes back to the Word of God, to your personal relationship with Christ. And I love that because if there was ever a time to know Christ is today. And if you don't know Christ today, all you have to do is pray, ask Him into your heart, repent of your sins, turn away from your old life, put down everything that is separating you from God and accept the plan that he has for you. 
He changed my life. He can change your life. I got to go. I'll see you next time. Until then, keep the faith. It's going to be all right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.